today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. There weren't anybody that was bringing them into great sins of immorality like Balaam, which we read in one of the other churches here in Revelation. There was no Jezebel that was leading them on into immorality. They simply drifted away from a committed, on-fire life for Christ in relative ease and comfort. They continued on through the motions of worship, through the activity of church, But in reality, as we read here, the church was a corpse. As one writer tells us, they were a morgue with a steeple. Have you ever taken the time to consider how your walk is going? There can be times in our lives when we're having a mountaintop experience. Then there can be other times when we're lukewarm. The question is, how did we get there? Pastor David is urging us to stay near the Lord. If we're daily in His Word and seeking Him diligently, we'll remain on fire. The alternative is allowing this world to sear our consciences, letting little bits of Satan into our lives more and more each day. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 3 with today's edition of The Open Word. Sardis was a capital city of the ancient kingdom or the ancient region known as Lydia. It was located in a valley. It was called the Hermas River Valley. Big, beautiful area right there. Sardis itself was located right on the shores of uh, a tributary to the Hermas River. Uh, That little river was called the Pactolus, the Pactolus River. It was located up on some cliffs uh, overlooking the shores of that river. And again, just a really, really beautiful, beautiful location. It's interesting. The wealth of Sardis was well known all around that region because of the Pactolus River. And they say that the Pactolus River became rich in gold when, catch this, when fabled King Midas, you remember King Midas? Uh, so they say because Midas washed in the Pactolus River, that's why there's so much gold in that area. The reality is, is there's a lot of gold within the Pactolus River and within that region. And every reigning king and empire that, that controlled that area, they got a lot of wealth out of, again, uh, removing all of that gold. Uh, well known within the ancient world because of it. The, the connection between Sardis and money particularly easy money, was one of the things that was well known within that reason, region. Easy money. Around 547 B.C., 547 years before the birth of Christ, uh, there was the growing power of the Persian Empire. And during that time, the Lydian ruler, a fellow by the name of Croesus, he went to an oracle 
to find out what he should do because he was worried about the growth of the Persian Empire, that they were going to overtake him. And so the oracle told him, hey, if you would go out and make war with the Persians against Cyrus the Great, the Persian said, I mean, the oracle said, a great empire would be destroyed. So Croesus, he went ahead and attacked Cyrus, but they were soon forced to retreat, and they retreated back into the city of Sardis. And again, Sardis, because of the walls that surrounded the city, because they were located on this high and steep cliff, was a pretty good stronghold for them to run to and hide it. And they felt pretty well secure there at that point in time. They were confident that they could not be conquered. Well, once King Cyrus made it to Sardis, he found, yeah, definitely the city was a pretty strong defensive position, very difficult for them to do anything. And so, again, he offers this reward to any of his soldiers that find a way to be able to break into the city, to find a way into the city. So one of his soldiers was just watching the hillside one day, and suddenly he noticed on the hillside one of the soldiers uh, coming out of Sardis and making his way down a trail. Apparently his helmet had fallen down and fell down the cliff, and this guy makes his way down the cliff. And so this soldier, uh, this Persian soldier, finds out that there is this trail that leads up and an opening into the city of Sardis. So he marked where the spot was. Later he got this group together, and along with this detachment of troops, they scaled the cliff, made it into the city. Now, the amazing thing is, once they made it into the city of Sardis, they realized that they weren't on guard at all. They figured they were safe. They figured, hey, the high cliff, the high walls were cool, and so everybody's just chilled, and the whole place was unguarded. So they were able to then sneak over to the gates, open up where the normal road would be for them to come in. So the Persian army was able to go and go through the walls that way, through those gates, and defeated, again, that that, that city at that point in time. And Croesus' soldiers uh, totally defeated because they thought that everything was fine. They were at their ease because they thought that they had this protection. They were so confident in the city's defenses that they failed to keep watch. Interesting thing is, it happened to them again about 200 years later when Antiochus came against that city. Another empire was carrying it or, or uh, had control of it. But again, they got behind the walls, behind the steep cliff. They felt they were fine. They didn't stay on guard. They snuck into the city, opened the gates. The invading army came on in twice within that city's history. Yet it was still a wealthy city. In a very physical and a materialistic way, the city was doing well. Sardis continued to be known for its luxury, known for its loose morals. They were a completely pleasure-seeking people, seeking their own desires. It would seem, again, it was during this time of relative peace, relative prosperity, not near like what it was, but still good, that the church that was now located in Sardis pretty much kind of slipped back from their passion and their drive for the things of Christ. They just kind of figured, hey, it's easy to be a Christian here. There's no real attack of any sort. 
There, there, there weren't any false teachers, at least where we read here that we know of. There weren't any false teachers like the Nicolaitans. There weren't anybody that was bringing them into great sins of immorality like Balaam, which we've read in one of the other churches here in Revelation. There was no Jezebel that was leading them on into immorality. They simply drifted away from a committed, on-fire life for Christ in relative ease and comfort. They continued on through the motions of worship, through the activity of church, but in reality, as we read here, the church was a corpse. As one writer tells us, they were a morgue with a steeple. Here in chapter 3, we read, Jesus says to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you're alive, but you are dead. We know from the opening paragraphs, even of the book of Revelation here in the first chapter, that Jesus is the one that's speaking. And again, as he's dictating these words to the Apostle John, John writing out these messages to each one of these churches, these messages are unique to each one of these churches. Under the church of Pergamos, right. Under the church of Thyatira, right. Under the church of Sardis, right. And so on and so forth. We understand that. And yet we know that each one of these messages is still viable. It's still fundamental, I believe, for every church and for every individual believer on down through the centuries. We look at the message just as we've looked thus far in Revelation. We say, you know what? That Hopefully you've looked at that this way because that's the way I've looked at it. This speaks to me. This speaks to us as a church. And yeah, it speaks to the body of the church today. And there's some areas that we do a whole lot better in than others. Amen? Okay. There's some areas we do a whole lot worse in than others. Amen? Okay. Just want to make sure we're hitting the same direction. He speaks about the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And once again, you go back to the opening words of the book, and we we understand that he's speaking about, again, holding the, the Holy Spirit, these seven spirits of God in one hand and the seven stars, these seven messengers to the church in the other. And again, to me, I look at that and I said, man, it, it's only Jesus that's going to bring these together, where, again, these the leaders and the churches themselves and the work and the move of the Holy Spirit. It's only through Christ that that's going to happen. Sardis had the outside appearance of being alive. It seemed like they had a strong defensive system in place. And yet the reality is Jesus tells them, I know that your work, I know your works, that you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. It was a false confidence that they had. The church itself seemed to be a, a facade of, of what it should be. You've seen those things. Uh, if you've ever been to Universal Studios or uh, places like over in California where they bring you these, oh, man, that's really beautiful, and you look on the, on the backside, it's just a bunch of two-by-four and plywoods all, all propped up. That's what the church of Sardis was. It was a facade of something that looked like it was alive, but Jesus says, no, I've, I've looked from the backside. You guys are actually dead. Perhaps they had a lot of events. Maybe they had several outreaches. Maybe they had a, a large attendance. Maybe they even did a lot of ministries of social welfare, but apparently it was all in the flesh and not of the spirit. Apparently it was just going through the motions. 
And they might have even fooled other churches in that region because from the outside, they looked successful. That's a strange descriptor for a church. Is your church successful? Well, what do you mean by that? What, what, what's your definition of successful church for a church? What, what makes a church successful? Oh, well, it's attendance. You know, if you got a church, you know, over 200, then you're running a successful church. What about longevity? Uh, when we were, when we first started the ministry here, we were about five years into the ministry here and I was at a uh, local community event and one of the other um, ministry people here in town uh, sitting beside. Now he was a friend and what he said, I know he was kind of halfway jesting when he said it and he says, well, I guess Calvary Chapel is now viable. And I said, you know, Okay, why? You know, I'll bite. He says, well, you've been here longer than five years. When we started this ministry, actually there were about five churches that started in the same year that we did in 1991. By that five-year period, we were the only ones standing. So does that make us successful or just makes us, you know, bullheaded? I don't know. Uh, really and truly, you know. What makes success? Is it a huge children's program? Hey, we got, you know, 100 in uh, VBS, 200 in VBS. We got whatever. What about a youth program? Yeah, we got 40, 50 kids coming out to youth programs every week. They're, man, they're just having a great time. And man, we got, you know, uh, we got all the, uh, Game Boys. We got all the PlayStation. We got all the happening stuff. Yeah, really, it's got a ton of stuff going for our church. Hey, we, we do major mission outreaches. We send teams down to uh, Guatemala, and we we build you know uh, houses for people uh, through through the years. We we go over to the Philippines. We help out you know during floods. What you know, is that? What makes a successful ministry? What about buildings? Yeah, we got a beautiful structure. We got all these buildings. We got man. We've got a gymnasium. We've got this. We've got that. We've got all these things. What is it that makes a church successful? Maybe a great standing in the city. Oh, the mayor goes to our church. You know, uh, 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 half the city council, they're members of, of, of our fellowship. Does that make us a successful church? We've got, we've got political sway within our church. Our pastor can go and he speaks right to the leadership. What is it? Because you see, the world looks at that, and that's success for the world. The, the world looks at that and says, wow, that's the kind of church I want to go to because it's the happening place. All the cool kids go to that church, okay? But actually, the same things that make you and I as believers successful in our walk is what makes a church successful. Obedience, faithfulness, having a heart like Jesus, making headway within the kingdom of God, moving forward within those things. And a church can have all of those things, the obedience, the faithful, having a heart like Jesus, making headway in the kingdom of God, moving forward in that. You can have all of those things without any of those other things, without any of those former things that I listed. And you know what? They can still be successful in God's eyes. A church of 40 or 50 or 90 can be successful. And a church of 5,000 can be dead, though it has a name that it's alive. So you see, it really doesn't matter on the outside what's happening. It doesn't matter how many meetings you have, how much social work you do, how much money you give. None of that stuff really matters if the heart isn't right. If the heart is not right, all these other things 
become the facade. They become our high cliffs. They become our impenetrable walls. And we're safe on the inside because everything's going good. We become the walking dead because we have a name that we're alive, but we're dead. Don't ever forget how quickly physical and material things can change in a heartbeat, in a moment. They can change. In your own life, What? how do you know that, that God really loves you and God is blessing your life? Well, because I've got a nice house, I've got a nice truck, I've got a good job, uh, um, this is happening, I've got a good savings account, blah, 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 blah. The world looks, that's success. You've, you've made it. I love the story, and I've heard it over and over again. I don't have it memorized, but it's the story of a man who one day, this beautiful, beautiful wild stallion came on his property. And the wild stallion allowed the man to bring it into a paddock or a corral and kept him. And the town people came out and says, Oh, you are so blessed, so blessed. You have such a beautiful, beautiful horse. God has blessed you so much. And the man says, Well, don't say whether I'm blessed or I'm cursed. Just say that I have a beautiful horse. Because in about a week or so, the horse ran away. And so the people came out to him and says, Oh, you're right, you're right. We were so wrong to say that you are blessed because you are truly cursed. Because your horse ran away from you. And the man said, Why do you say I'm blessed or I'm cursed? Just say that my horse ran away. Because the next week, that horse came back with a whole herd of other wild horses onto that man's property. So, of course, the village people said, oh, you are so blessed, so blessed, my God. You people are driving me nuts. Why say I'm blessed or I'm cursed? Just say now I have more horses. In a little while, his son decided he would break one of these wild horses. And while he was trying to do that, he got bucked off the horse and he broke his leg. Village people came out and said, oh, you are so cursed. Your son who helps you with the farm, who helps you with everything, now he has a broken leg. People, you know. Just tell me my son has a broken leg. The country went into war and all the young men had to go and sign up for the army. And the people came to him and says, you are so blessed because your son has a broken leg. He doesn't have to go into the army. You see how foolish we are? What is our blessing? Our blessing comes in relationship and in fellowship with God. That's where our blessing is. That's why Paul is able to say, whatever state that I find myself in, I've learned to be content. Whether I, man, I abound or whether I base. Whether, whether I'm clothed or whether I'm naked. Whether I'm full or whether I'm hungry. You know what? I've, I've just learned to be content. The world looks on the outside and puts these other little standards. For Sardis, they look good on the outside. To the casual observer, they were impressive. But to the one that sees the heart of an individual, he says, you are among the walking dead. So Jesus goes on to warn them in verse 2. He says, be watchful. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For the most part, they were dead, but there's some things that aren't quite there yet. They're just mostly dead. Be watchful. Strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. There's there's five things here that Jesus is telling this church that they need to observe. The first one is you need to be watchful. The second one is you need to strengthen what remains. The third one is you need to remember. The fourth one is you need to hold fast. And the fifth one, 
you need to repent, to be watchful. The church as a whole, you as individuals, need to be on guard always. Always. Because about the time you figure you've arrived, guess what? You ain't. Okay? The, the, the enemy is going to see you at ease. He's going to find your Achilles heel and he's going to take you out. He will take you out at, 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 and it will come upon just like that earthquake came upon them. So sudden without warning, the enemy can come. Just like this army that's going to find a little way in to destroy the city and you're sitting back uh, drinking a soda and just kind of laid back and enjoying the day and no problems. Rather than spiritually being ready and prepared that, you know, today might be the, d- the day that the enemy is going to throw anything and everything he has at me. It's interesting to me whenever Tot and I uh, in the mornings we pray together and sometimes when we're praying we think, Lord, really give us strength for the day. And sometimes, man, it just seems like the Spirit really impresses us to pray for strength and, and wisdom for that day. Now, we don't always pray that way, but every once in a while, just that intensity of it comes. And sure enough, man, uh, I either hit the door running here or before I even get to church, my phone is lighting up and this thing is going and this thing is going and all kinds of stuff is, is going on. At any moment, at any time, the enemy can look for you when you're not prepared and look for opportunity to bring you down. Literally, the words there, be watchful, literally the words meant become watching. Become watching. It's the idea that right now you're not watching. You need to become watching. You need to be in that active mode of watching. They had drifted into that, again, that that neutral state of not being spiritually on guard. And again, there are going to be easy pickings for the enemy's forces. He says here also, strengthen what remains. Strengthen what remains, again, is, is probably more clearly understood with you need to establish what remains. Because there were some things within that church that, yes, they were good within that body, but they, they weren't established. They, they weren't strengthened, and they were ready to die, he says. They've almost died. Whatever spiritual life they had, it wasn't really connected. It wasn't in order. There was no disciplined form of growth within that church. There apparently was some faith, some correct practice of the Christian faith, but there was no organized effort to fan that flame and to get it burning within the hearts and the lives of the people there. There was no thing that was put in place to help them to be able to focus on future spiritual growth and to be able to be strengthened against the enemy. They were barely hanging in there. They were ready to die. In the midst of all that, the Lord Jesus tells them, I've found your works. I've not found, I'm sorry, I have not found your works perfect. Or another way of saying that, or I've not found your works complete. Or I've not found your works fulfilled before God. And again, it appears that the, the works that they were doing were half-hearted at best. Again, just going through the motions. I won't raise, I won't ask for a raise of hand because I don't want to embarrass all of you, but let's face it, sometimes we go through the motions, don't we? I'll raise my hand, okay? Sometimes you just go through the motions, whether it be because you're tired, because you're weary, um, just because whatever. You just go through the motions, and you know your heart is not in what you say you're doing for the Lord.
We've come to the end of our time together for today. But if you're not ready to be done yet, you can find additional messages from The Open Word. Pastor David is here to share how you can continue listening. Hey, thanks, Chris. We love getting the Word of God out to as many people as possible. All the teachings you hear on The Open Word have been preserved on our website. You're welcome to access them. Visit theopenword.com to listen to or download the messages God has supplied from His Word. That website again is theopenword.com or you can search for The Open Word Podcast on iTunes and subscribe for free. I'd like to encourage you to take these messages with you on the go. You never know when you'll have a moment of peace in your day. So why not fill it with God's Word? I hope you continue to study the Bible and that it continues to bless you and fill you with His joy. Thanks, Pastor David. We're so glad these resources are available to us whenever we want them. The book of Revelation is so often shrouded in mystery with its outlandish pictures of winged creatures by the throne of God and roaming the earth. As we continue to study, though, we'll be able to discern how these pictures all point to the one spotless lamb who conquered all through laying down his life. If you'd like to know more about Jesus, the lamb, give us a call at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. We'd love to share the greatest story with you, the one where God came down to earth to join in a relationship with us. That's all for today, but join us next time right here on The Open Word.